This is the Roaring Elfin podcast for the 6th of June 2017, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data. My name is John, and here's my somewhat depressed co-host, Dave. Hello! And uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with depressed, I was, of course, referring to the title of this, uh, of this show. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, let, let's be clear. Technology should not cause suicide, not like this. But, uh, yeah, an interesting episode ahead of us, I think. Yes, and just to, to be on the safe side, everybody relax. It has a happy ending. Suicide does get averted. So, Indeed. <laughs> Mainly through the use of Kafka, but don't want to spoil the story. <laughs> <laughs> yep, for the, for the real ending, you have to listen to the whole episode, I'm afraid. Indeed. Anyway, let's kick off. So we were going to end the Saji raffle on this episode, weren't we, Jan? That was the entirely convinced of um, idea, meaning, planning, whatever you want to call it. But since I forgot to tally up all the raffle tickets, <laughs> we don't have time to do it anymore. Uh, we've uh, had a quick chat with uh, Sarji people and agreed that we will extend the raffle for another f- uh, two weeks. So a fortnight in, in UK English. Indeed. So, uh, for people that have entered the raffle, no problem. Your raffle tickets are still valid. And for people that haven't entered yet, rejoice. You have a second chance to get in on the raffle. And for those that already have a raffle ticket entry, this is your chance to get another one. Yeah, definitely. Double chances. Indeed. (laughs) All right. So, with that, shall we uh, get moving on to the main episode? Uh, yep, let's do some news because the uh, second part of the of the uh, podcast is rather lengthy at about 40 minutes for the interview, I think. We should not spend too much time talking about nothing at all. So, I'll yeah, my f- first article is a article I was actually f- I found it because a colleague of mine went to the Strata Data Conference uh not last weekend, the week before, well, very recently anyway. And he uh, pointed me to a talk that was given there. I think it was a keynote part. Uh, it was given by Mandy Chessel, who is a distinguished engineer, master inventor, and fellow of the Royal Academy of Engineering. Uh, can I just good. can I just say that that's a great that's a great I don't know if it's a job title as such. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great set of titles. It's distinguished great. engineer and master inventor. That's, uh, I mean, brilliant. yeah. Love it. We can't steal it anymore because it's not going to be original. But uh, yeah, kudos for that. And she's actually working at IBM at the moment. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, all from her LinkedIn page. And she has done the keynote. You can find the keynote on YouTube. It's all being video recorded, of course. So I've put a link in the show notes with TV, a link to the YouTube video as well. And there's a blog post on the IBM Big Data Analytics Hub called, and now finally we get to the interesting part, Inside Out, the role of Apache Atlas in the open metadata ecosystem. Hey, hey, Apache Atlas is coming up. It's uh, the phoenix is rising. Indeed. Because apparently I listened to the uh, keynote uh, uh, from Mandy and I've skimmed through the article. And apparently IBM uh, was talking about the importance of metadata. And, well, everybody in the big data world kind of agrees and think, uh, knows that metadata is one of the big problems we have at the moment. 
all that data in there is only useful if you know where it came from, what's happened to it, and what it's about. And IBM has been looking for a solution, product, service, what you want to call it, to manage all that metadata, and they have decided to base it on Apache Atlas. And very importantly, I think, as I touted a couple of episodes ago where I had the memory of Apache having a role inside Hadoop itself and across the entire organization, and uh, you, Mr. Dave Russell, kind of shot me down on that. IBM joins my thinking (laughs) because they also see this as a metadata system for the entire uh, entire company data ecosystem. The entire enterprise. uh, Yeah, Yeah. not just limited to YouTube. So so at this point, I probably need to own up a little bit that actually I've known about this for a little while. (laughs) Um, How can you keep this from us, man? How can you do this? But I haven't been able to say anything about it because it's all under all under NDA. So yes, it, it is. It it is all happening. So um, IBM actually have a variety of um, sort of data lineage um, components that have been proprietary for quite some time, and this is the really the first outing that I've seen in the public space of them talking about their role of essentially. Um, replacing the core engine of a lot of these previously proprietary products with um, Apache Atlas on the back end. So it's the the post that we actually link to is uh, part two in a three part series. So uh, mm-hmm. part three is is going to be coming out at some point in the, in the not too distant future, hopefully. So hope um, when when that comes out, hopefully we'll uh, be able to perhaps talk a bit about that as well and. Yeah. The, the third part, I believe, is actually linking it back towards um, actually how Atlas is going to be integrated into the IBM products in the near future and uh, what that release cycle looks like and all that kind of good stuff. So it, it is, uh, it's really quite an exciting time. Yeah, 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 I mean, we've been lamenting the lack of innovation or, or, or evolution in the Atlas, Apache Atlas project being a bit stagnant of late. But apparently behind closed doors, things were happening. And having IBM as a major vendor out there and putting it in their products, that's the thing Atlas was waiting for, right? Yeah. So there's there's actually been um, some of the things that have been happening in the Atlas world um, have been a major shift in um, sort of the underlying code base that deals with the APIs. So I will actually see if I can pull together. Um, there's quite a nice, um, a nice documentation link to the new, the next generation of the APIs, which actually is a second. So we're recording now. I think it's actually all live at this point. So the the sort of sort of version two, if you like, of the APIs. Uh, far, you know, one of the things that people found when they were trying to get Atlas up and running um, early on was there were certain operations that you wanted to do when linking metadata that the APIs just didn't expose. Mm-hmm. This new generation of the APIs exposes absolutely everything, and it's much more, uh, you know, provides a much richer experience. And yeah. that is really what. Uh, uh, what IBM were waiting for, um, so they could do a lot of their integration. So a lot of the the work that's gone in, you know, not behind closed doors as such, but you know, has has gone on upstream, has actually been driven through um, what we're seeing in the partner ecosystem through you know, organisations like IBM. So, yeah, 
Yeah, it's it's extremely nice to see this happening because I think at the end of last year when we did our uh, Crystal Ball show, we yep. kind of predicted, uh, at, well, not too good news for Apache Atlas, and I'm uh, very happy that we're going to be proven wrong. Uh, let's 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 correct that. I predicted that that. It would be the year of Atlas, and great things would happen. And you poo-pooed that yeah, particular. Yes, yes. But, but you have just <laughs> you have just let us know that you had inside private information stuff like that. So yeah, that doesn't count. You were not you were in the silent period there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, I think it's it's really really good news. Um, it it gets me excited to think about where where this is going because I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen a few um a few you know partners in this in this space adopting atlas as a back end or as an integration point um but and I, I mean no disrespect to any of those partners no one of the scale of ibm yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, it's it's very very interesting yeah, I mean, you you need to have some heavyweight suit for a standard to become a standard. I mean, it only becomes a standard if somebody u- if everybody uses it, and as long as you don't exactly. have a heavyweight there, and yeah, a lot of small people can become a heavyweight, but having someone like IBM join your ranks at that point, and I guess you need those first adopters to make a big weight like IBM see, oh, this is interesting. People are using this. Let's take a look at this. So, it, it, one can't exist without the other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, IBM is the the juggernaut, the oil tanker of uh, of organisations. You know, it takes takes a while to turn these things around. So <laughs> I think you know, it's it's great news, and I look forward to uh, seeing where things go in the in the near future. Yeah, also put a new light on the keynote that IBM gave on the DataWorks Summit in Munich when they were talking about being more of an open source company. Yep, this is yep. definitely a step in that direction. I would say, indeed. And uh, yeah, good to see that all the stuff that they are developing is going to be flowing back to Atlas because it's, it's an Apache project. So I'm assuming that all of their commits will become uh, part of the project as well. Yeah, already upstream. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, very nice. Good news for Atlas. It needed it. So uh, kudos to Atlas, kudos to IBM for doing this. And uh, let's keep an eye on uh, where this goes. Indeed. So from. Uh, from the joys of Atlas and open metadata um, to something a little bit lighter. Um, so I personally found it a little bit of a slow news day. Um, but I did come across uh, an article on KD Nuggets, which uh, pointed me towards a selection of YouTube videos on big data. Now, I haven't actually, full disclosure, I haven't actually watched all of them yet. Um, there are, let's see, so there are 10 individual videos um, that have, let's have a look, somewhere between uh, 370 and uh, 43,000 views um, each. Uh, and then there's also a few um, YouTube video playlists also focused around big data. And I've I've watched a couple of these, and I've actually been reasonably impressed with the the quality of the ones that they've picked. Um, but I'd like to kind of perhaps guide people towards two that I thought were particularly good. Um, so the first one is actually from um, my my good friends at uh, Telefonica. So this is from uh, Telefonica Digital, and they basically just talk about. Um, 
big data in 2017, uh, what they expect to be coming um, over the year. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but oh, uh, essentially, no, no, no. If you if you want to know what happens, you've got to watch the video. It's a bit like listening to the podcast. So you're actually um, pointing people away from the podcast towards YouTube? You, you, you don't understand how this thing works, do you? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that one I thought was was really good. It's actually uh, it's, it's a you know, two person panel and uh, and someone guiding the conversation. And I just thought it was really interesting. Um, it's a little bit uh, maybe higher level than okay. some of our audience might want, but I think it, it's still good conversation. And actually, they do touch on some fairly interesting topics. Um, so that's the first one. The second one I think is worth um, worth time. So the first one is only about uh, it's only about you know, seven minutes, just less than seven minutes long. So it's not not too big an investment. Um, the second one's a little bit longer, and that's um, how to monetize big data by. And I'm sorry, I'm probably going to murder your name, but Matthias Lundo Nielsen. It's a TED talk, um, which should already give you an idea that uh, you know the uh, the quality is reasonably high here. And uh, it basically, um, he's uh, essentially a serial entrepreneur, and he's done a number of different things to do with big data. Um, and his latest sort of uh, venture is around the luxury hotel industry. And he's basically been talking about everything from um, a variety of different industries, from fashion to hotel booking. And um, he's basically talking about how uh, he is using big data um, to basically change the way, revolutionize the way um, that uh, that we book holidays. Um, I, I just think it's one of the things that we've talked about on our previous episodes is how some organizations are still, despite all the odds, um, struggling to um, you know really find value or monetize big data. And I think this is a great example of you know, a number of different industries where, you know, someone's got a very clear picture as to this is how it works. Uh, and this is how, you know, he, he's particularly got value from it. But there's a few things in this video that I think uh, are, uh, you know, applicable to far wider than just um, hotel and fashion and that sort of thing. So, yeah, thoroughly recommend it. And, uh, yeah, I will, I will watch some of the others as well. Um, and, uh, and I'll come back if I think there's something else worth listening to or watching there. Yeah, when you mentioned hotels, uh, is he linked to Booking or Trivago or anything like that? Or? No. no, no, he is because it does say in the category non-profit and activism, so it doesn't really jive with those two. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not terribly. Okay, so yeah, okay, then it's more of a news aggregator side, right? Indeed, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, wouldn't have found it without them. So, thanks to KD Nuggets. Yeah, I've been um, using them before myself also. It's just that uh, they're usually linked to videos, and I usually take my news in a more textual format. Mm-hmm. Well, those two, I think, are definitely worth watching. I'd actually, let's, uh, let's put a pin in that, and uh, maybe after you've had a chance to watch them, um, on the next episode, we'll maybe talk a little bit about them anymore, if we think it's one. Mm. Anyway, what have you got for us? Anyway, uh, oh, I've got two smaller things I just uh, wanted to throw out there, because uh, we're going to be running out of time anyway. And the first one is an article I found on the Register, 
which is of course your source for quality news. Absolutely, yes. And uh, it's it's true. The internet. Uh, the, the article gripped me in a couple of ways because the title is "Cloud Giants Ran Out of Fast GPUs for AI AI Boffins." It's a little bit older article from the twenty second of May, and apparently the, during that uh, time there was a huge shortage of GPU-enabled virtual machines on all major cloud providers out there. Think of uh, Google, Amazon, Azure. And it's just fun to see that the AI community can have such an effect. Because apparently, this is all uh, guessing and uh, conjecture. Nobody has any proof of this. And the idea behind this is that apparently there's a, there was a big uh, AI competition that was finishing and a lot of students and uh, researchers were trying to get their papers together and doing their last calculations. And they kind of just spent, uh, over, they overcommitted all the GPU nodes across the world. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I mean, these things, I mean, GPU in virtualization or not is a quite an expensive piece of kit. I mean, if you're doing something with GPU, that's basically your biggest spend. And apparently there's not enough of them available to satisfy the need today, which kind of says something about what's happening in AI today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it it's kind of if you look at some of the comments, it's quite amusing there because a lot like the first half of all the comments are um Things like should have waited until after the deadline. Uh, <laughs> plenty of instances available, and uh, it, it's a good thing that it's not just undergrads that wait until the last minute to write this. <laughs> things like that. So, I mean, yeah, but it, it is. It is the thing that's kind of interesting to me is that that does suggest that a relatively small community can have such an impact because I I can't imagine. Uh, and you know, as again, again, there's 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 very little evidence to back this up. But I can't imagine that there's we're talking about uh, tens of thousands of people. Um, um, you know, it, it talks about the uh, neuroinformation processing system um, AI conference having five thousand attendees. So that means that mm-hmm. you know, so if that's the total number less than that are likely to be actually doing this at once, surely. So it means that a relatively small number of people can actually saturate the the GPU availability from all major cloud providers. It's all about capacity planning, right? Uh, Anybody's going to do capacity planning on predicted usage across a certain time span, call it a year. And this just gave you 5,000 extra people. Let's say that the half of them were doing something at that moment. That's 2,500 people. Let's say yep. they all need 10 VMs. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big part to overcommit the whole year round. Yeah, and of yeah, course, yeah. GPU, you can't, you can virtualize a CPU and overcommit it. You can virtualize memory and overcommit it, which is less of a good thing to do, but still possible. Hard disks are hard to overcommit because, yes, a byte is a byte is a byte, but disks are pretty cheap gpus are not cheap and yeah. you can't really virtualize these things that much i know i, I know the the vms are using the nvidia grid cards and amazon yeah. uh, uh, radian also has something now that does something similar but not sure if that's already available in vms out there but you can only make i don't know one or two or four maybe of one physical machine because every physical gpu has more than one gpu chip on it but you can't just over yeah, overcommit those things because basically you need a GPU for the speed. And if you overcommit stuff, that means you're sharing it. 
yeah. and you lose your speed. So it's uh, it's the one piece of kit that really suffers through uh, yeah, capacity planning problems. Yeah. The other interesting thing is if you look at the the article, then the um, the prices of the instances have uh, you know significantly risen to the point where you, you could make a you could make an argument it would be cheaper to go on prem by your own GPU. <laughs> uh, yes, but only if you're going to use a GPU for the rest of the year in the same amount of time you're using it for I those know. one two or two weeks, right? <laughs> this is true. This is true. That's but at that point. price, you know. Uh, you, could, um, you could just use it, use it a couple of times a year. It'd be break even. Uh, no, not really, because if I've actually done this, because uh, at my previous job at uh, Sursara, where I actually uh, was one of the people working with the, uh, the the cloud infrastructure there, we actually installed a couple of GPU heavy nodes. We had four GPUs in every chassis. And yeah, those GPU cards are more expensive, but the chassis themselves too, because you need a lot of power. You need to have a lot a of boards with a lot of PCI slots, a lot of cooling. So yeah. it's not just the price of the GPU, it's a lot more than that. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I know, <laughs> I wrote the tender for that. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Anyway, it was a fun article. It was fun to see. And uh, actually, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to comment any further on it. <laughs> Fair enough. So that was a fun one. And one last thing I want to do is a little shout out. I promised I wouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. The second part of the sub-second analytics with Apache Hive and Druid is live on the Hortonworks blog site by Carter Shanklin and Slim Bugera. As I said last time, last episode, uh, interesting three-parter uh, blocks there. So if you're interested in uh, OLAP cubing on Hive, this is part two. Have a read. Links in the show notes, Ooh. as always. Lots of code as well. Yeah, it's actually a nice thing. They're talking about... Uh, I'm going to talk about it anyway then. <laughs> <laughs> All I had to do is give you one little prompt and away he goes. <laughs> I mean, it's also a, a nice article because the code is actually a benchmark they're running and they're doing it the right way. Sorry to being a fanboy of Fortinworks at this point. Guilty perhaps. But they actually show the code that they're using. They're telling you what benchmark they're using, where it came from and so on. And while they don't really do competing, they're not doing ours is uh, washes wider than yours, but they do say, and I have to scroll down a little bit here, uh, as part of our partnership at AdScale, uh, here's the link to their blog with their test results. Yeah. So just, this is our test results. We're not going to say, oh, this is worse or better. Go to their site and see what their results are. The actually interesting thing is that um, the AdScale blog is, and I haven't seen this article, so I'm looking at the first time. So my uh, assessment of what's uh, what's here may well be uh, completely broken. But <laughs> the AdScale blog is actually talking about AdScale plus Hive and Druid together, which is cubes on cubes. I'm not really sure if it's cubes on cubes. Uh, I don't know the AdScale solution enough to be able to talk about it in any kind of intelligent fashion. But uh, if I extrapolate from what I do know, uh, what AdScale does, I think, is kind of a subsampling from your data in the Hadoop cluster, and then they do their own analytics uh, cubing on their end. And what I'm thinking here is that just like a, a Teradata or SAP or whatever is doing uh, offload onto a Hadoop cluster, they will be able to use Druid to do the same thing. So instead of doing su- uh, uh, subsampling, they might just be using Druid to do real push down uh, to the to the cluster. I don't know. So the the thing that I think is most interesting 
about this is uh, towards the end of it, I think it outlines the, the difference here. The difference seems to be that um, if you're using OLAP cubing, most enterprise class uh, OLAP cubing uh, solutions need to use the uh, MDX query language, the multi-dimensional expression query language. Now, Druid currently doesn't expose that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, whereas, okay. whereas, um, at scale does. So I think that's, I think that's yeah, the key. Okay. So essentially you've got at scale on the top, building the virtual cubes underneath that you've got hive, um, the, the full, um, fidelity of the events in Druid and hive. And uh, it's exposed at the top level through at scale. So I think that's how it, but it actually does talk about, it's quite nice because the the blog posts actually link to each other. Yes. <laughs> um, and at the end, it actually does mention a Hortonworks at scale joint webinar. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So. yeah. I was kind of scared when uh, I heard uh, Alan Gates uh, doing the summit uh, talk about uh, Druid and everything, that this is going to be a competition kind of situation where at scale and Druid can become fighters uh, against each other. But it looks like they're going to be, yeah, like they said in the blog post here, like peanut butter and chocolate in the Reese's Cup. Mmm, peanut butter and chocolate. I take the chocolate. I don't like peanut butter, though. Even though I live in Holland, I still don't like it. Really? That's that's just wrong. <laughs> anyway, as I said, we're not going to be talking about Druid in any kind of detail. <laughs> but again, interesting stuff. Get a read on. Indeed. And that's All it right. for the news. Indeed, it is. So, with that. Coming up after the music, we have a change of pace from Alan Gates. And instead, this time, we're talking to uh, Ewan and Aurelian from uh, Saji. And they're going to be talking about their session at the DataWorks Summit, which is Spark Streaming and Suicidal Tendencies. Uh, However, never fear, there's a little bit more Alan Gates still to come up, and that'll be coming up quite soon. So with that, away we go. So, we have special guests here from Saji. We have Yuen and uh, Aurelia from uh, Saji. And uh, they're joining us to uh, give a bit of a um, reminder of their session at the DataWorks Summit, uh, amusingly named Spark Streaming and Suicidal Tendencies. Uh, For those of you that uh, may remember our um, coverage of the DataWorks Summit, actually neither Jon or myself could get into the session. It was absolutely packed. So I think that uh, that already says good things about your session. Uh, And uh, I've had a quick skim through the uh, through certainly through the slides, uh, all all looking pretty interesting as well. So uh, yeah, maybe if you want if you want to go through a little bit on uh, Saji and, and what Saji do, and then. We'll get on into the actual session itself. Hi, everybody. Uh, so, Saji, we do uh, platform as a service for big data. We are kind of Heroku for big data. So, mm-hmm. our main stuff is to get uh, Hadoop ready to, ready to use. And we manage all the job over it, Spark, Python, or 
Java, Scala, Aka, Thailand, Scoop, anyway. So you just have to focus on data and process. So you organize the data, you organize the process, and you get your job done faster than than you that you have to do the full architecture. You know. Do you guys actually offer this as a service, or do you install a solution at a customer site? Both. We have a cloud solution, and we put some appliance, especially for European customer. You know, banks, insurance. Mm-hmm. Else, else stuff, and we manage remotely this appliance, so it's like a mm-hmm. cloud uh, in the data center of the customer. And so the the sort of the, the appliance based solution. I'm assuming that you know this is uh, designed for lots of organizations that are just getting getting used to, to big data and Hadoop. But do you also have you know customers using it for some pretty advanced use cases as well? So basically, banks do KPIs, reporting, stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after, they do churn fighting using algorithm and so on. And we've got some customer, one of our first customer, which uh, who do uh, streaming data. And it was uh, the second, our second customer. And Aurelien helped them to do the streaming data. And it was on Spark 1.5 and then 1.6. And it's why we we do this presentation at DataWorks at Munich. Yeah, that uh, session was all on Spark and stuff. So are you guys specializing in Spark and machine learning, or do you also do simple Hive, well, simple, normal, regular Hive uh, kind of job as well? Uh, we are more doing Impala stuff because we are Impala fanboys, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit <laughs> faster and so on. And uh, it's why in the middle of the stuff, I almost advertise on Impala inside uh, Artonworks uh Conference. Yeah, I saw that. But if you, when, yes, when you want to calculate KPIs, what's it, what we need at the end, it's mostly SQL plus Hive if it's really tough on memory or just Impala. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, machine learning can be Spark or sometimes it can be just be Python with scikit-learn because the data you need is not so big. Yeah, if you don't need a scheduling uh, subsystem for Spark, then you can just do a single system yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. If it fits its memory, it's not big data, so we can do Python. So uh, Hadoop is just one part of what you do. Is it the main part of what you do? Or uh, so Hadoop is uh, what we need, but our main business is to organize all the job uh, on the top of it. So we standardize processing. We st- we you can uh, centralize log. Uh, you can uh, create new version of your one because we manage a one of big data. We want to put data science in production. So we can get several versions and you can roll back. For example, you put a new algorithm very fast, but uh, the results are not good. So you just have to go to the UI, click on rollback, it rollback the stuff, you replay it, it replays the data, and you can also do it through an API. And that's it. And uh, if you've got big workload, uh, like a terrace of data, so if you want to do machine learning, you do a Spark job, and it works very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we did in our platform is you don't have to choose between the version. You can choose whatever version of Spark you need, so from 1.5 to 2.1 mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe when the episode will be out, there will be 2.2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not out, out yet. So the, your old workload uh, from last year, you can uh, keep the, the, the previous version. So you've got stability. And for the new one, you know, you want to do talk streaming. Aurelien tested uh, this uh, two weeks ago, I think. Um, they use the last version, the 2.1, to see if it's better or not. So you get, 
you know, stability with an old version and innovation with a new version. And when you get installed, you know, uh, an, uh, Cloudera, Norton Works, Mapper, you, the, the, I, the ops guy say, okay, just this version. And then the data scientist just plays a new version of Spark on their laptop. So we want both on production. So you guys don't really use a fixed uh, distribution then because you have Impala, you have Spark and everything. So you build your own Hadoop environment or you mix and match? or Yeah, we in fact, we take the best of it. So for example, we've got Hive, Impala, but also Dwill, where Mapper is the main commuter. We put everything together. So we we do uh, Legos. Uh, I don't know if it's the right one. Yeah. And we put all together, working together. So we just, just have to focus on this. Does does that mean you have a big job on actually maintaining that uh, well private uh, distribution you've built to get yourself? Or because I can imagine, I mean, people like uh, Hortonworks and Cloudera and Mapar, a big part of their time, if if not all their time, is spent on getting that distribution stable and working well together. If you're doing this yourself, how big of an impact does it have on your uh, business? So we do a lot of reuse. The main impact is to test the security on the new update of each open source project because sometimes we've got, you know, update security working everywhere except on Beeline. On Beeline, it just jumps the login password mm-hmm. and uh, security was done. So <laughs> we have to skip some version. So we, our most stuff is, you know, make a big assembly, make the be- take the best of each stuff and mostly test the security. <laughs> okay. We work for banks, you know. <laughs> Yes, uh, banks are the most easy customer to work with, right? They never yeah. and they don't want much. It's all easy to do, quick, yeah. easy. And right now we are cabaraising uh, some servers. On the uh, the stuff is cabaros is set up, but mm-hmm. right now nobody can access it. So we we are making the next moves uh, for our customer. Are you also using something like Nox then, or some kind of proxy system in front of it to bypass the Kerberos uh, requirements? I guess for a bank, you can't even do that because they need security, right? Uh, not yet, but we are in the middle of the bridge, and the end of the bridge should be in June. So I will say I have to say more uh, in two months. Uh, okay, now before we go any further, I do want to mention uh, the fact that you guys are sponsoring the podcast with uh, our current raffle, which we breaking the fourth wall a little bit uh, just before we run this uh, interview. We will have announced the winner of the raffle of the one-year O'Reilly Safari Online subscription. But since we're recording this a uh, couple of uh, weeks ahead of time, we don't know who that winner is. But uh, thank you very much, guys, for sponsoring our podcast and uh, giving a nice uh, present to our listeners. I'm a big fan of the show. I listen to all the episodes. I learn a lot. So it's also a thank you to you for all this work. Well, thank you for being a listener. (laughs) Anyway, uh, apart from Ewan, we have a second guest on the show. You've uh, mentioned his name already a couple of times already. So uh, maybe Aurélien, introduce yourself. Uh, Hello, I'm Aurélien. I'm data engineer at Sagi. Uh, and uh, I'm working uh, on uh, real-time application, everything about da- data, integration of data for uh, data scientists, and uh, everything uh, data scientists need uh, to have uh, quality on their, da- their data before working on, uh, on their model. How long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been doing this uh, since uh, three years now. I began in Spark uh, two years ago with uh, 1.3 version. And uh, now uh, 
I uh, have been try uh, Kafka stream and structure streaming uh, and uh, Flink to see all the the frameworks uh, which allow to do the same things that Spark streaming mm-hmm. and uh, compare them to do this kind of uh, of a treatment. You are how long have you been in this world of uh, big data? Uh, for myself, it, big data, it's been uh, four years now. But uh, before, you know, I've done a lot of streaming. Before, it was called streaming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I do, you know, telematics. Uh, you know, that it's, we kept data from the car, from the trucks. And we centralize on the server. And we have to show the result uh, up to three minutes to the customer with the GPS. So it was a Java, Java, uh, Spring, uh, sometime.net, but it was, uh, it was streaming. No, it's called, uh, big data streaming. We use Kafka, you use a Flink, you use Spark streaming, but it's basically the same. Yeah. And so why did you move on to the, the Hadoop environment? Just because it's easier to get it up and running, easier to scale or? Um, actually, uh, I'm the CTO of the company. I'm a co-founder and it's uh, my CEO recruit me. And I moved from streaming to big data for this. So I have to work like six months, like, uh, like hell to, to be good on this. Uh, is, it's why I start big data on, uh, just for the joke. When I was t- 23, so more than uh, 14 years ago, I say I will never do analytics. I will do transactional, you know, and no, I'm doing analytics. So <laughs> never, never say never. So uh, maybe let's uh, move on to the the session you guys did at the Hortonworks, uh, sorry, at the DataWorks Summit. I misspoke there. Um, you actually had a very practical, real life, real world demo session going on there with uh, trying something out, didn't work, then tried something else, and then Orion was killing himself. <laughs> <laughs> so for the people that haven't watched the video yet, it's a fun video to watch actually. Yeah, but. Uh, can you just uh, go go through it a little bit, so, so what the case was and uh, what didn't work and how you fixed it? So I, just to tell the, a little bit the story of the uh, of the presentation, it's uh, so I ask people on on the team who want to do this, so Orient say yes, he described me the stuff, so he say, okay, but describing a Spark option like during one hour would be a little boring. So maybe we can do so do uh, something more fun. Uh, so we put it a little like uh, you know, uh, theater mode with Act One, Scene One, Scene Two, Scene Three. So you can get uh, some uh, time to breathe and get and then go deep on a Spark option, you know, because we review like uh, twenty twenty five Spark option, something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just to put some context, uh, so it's was uh, about one of the f- first customer with uh, our platform. And so they taste big data. They were working with MySQL before. Uh, and they do marketing stuff on uh, the account manager. Uh, they want to give KPIs on performance of the campaign to their customer. But to do it, they, lo- they have a little UI to do requests. And to do this request, it just take hours. At the beginning, I didn't want to believe it. When I look, the so CEO show it to me and some requests have to do like 20 hours. And when this 20 hours request is processing, we have to wait for all the other one. So it's what a little bit crazy. So we put on Hadoop, we put Impala on the top and they ingest some static data at the beginning. They copy the MySQL DB 
and then they play, they try to do the same KPIs and they get the same KPIs for less than 20 minutes. So 22 hours to 20 minutes. So everybody was happy. So now they wanted more. They wanted a, a production Hadoop stuff with all the drum on top. And the business guy wants the data not only uh, one time by week or one time by day, but one time by hour, for example. So they have to go streaming. And this is uh, the beginning of the story. So when it's it was to 2015, the beginning of the stuff. So they start, Aurélien, you correct me, in a Spark 1.5 or 1.4? Which was uh, 1.5, uh, yes. Uh, and so it is Aurelien with uh, the helping the customer to use uh, the last version of, of Spark, so to try to do this streaming stuff. I'll let you do the next part, Aurelien. Yes, uh, at the beginning it was very easy to to develop this part because uh, the API of Spark is very uh, is very easy, and uh, we. We do the stuff in one week, maybe. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that, we we made a test on production with a environment condition in production, and it was uh, awful. It wasn't uh, work uh, because uh, the application crashed about uh, in uh, three five minutes. Uh, and uh, we ask uh, for uh, why uh, the application crashed. So we we began to 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 test a lot of uh, Spark properties, but uh, it was a very bad idea <laughs> <laughs> um, because uh, uh, finally uh, the. The most important things uh, it's to understand what happens uh, when you 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 put Spark in production. Uh, our Spark uh, create partition and the, it will define uh, the parallelism of your applications. And uh, once you you finish to 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 to. Un Understand and to create your partition, uh, everything will be more easier. And uh, it's uh, like that we we will solve uh, our problem. So how would uh, I mean the application was crashing after a couple of minutes? You say, and that yes. was due to the way of the partitioning. It's due. Um, um, Because uh, our processing time was too long, so the the new data uh, was queuing, and uh, after a moment the program uh, crashed because uh, uh, there is no space in memory to to keep all the data. Okay. So and there's no f function of back pressure in Spark, so you couldn't tell uh, whatever was giving you the data to stop giving it. It just filled up the memory and then it fell over. For a customer constraint, we use RabbitMQ, mm -hmm. and the receiver didn't implement uh, this property, yeah. so no back pressure uh, uh, was available for us. Mm -hmm. So, so it wasn't uh, a solution. Yeah. And so you were using the RabbitMQ connection to Spark streaming then at that point. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So first attempt didn't go fast enough with Spark streaming, and systems keep crashing. Yes. So we. Uh, 
you will try to improve uh, our processing time with uh, a lot of properties but uh, when you say properties you mean the way that spark was configured itself oh yes uh, basically at the beginning we we set the basic properties to to fix the number of executors the memory and so on but uh, it was useless because uh, um, our, our program didn't use uh, all the executor uh, which uh, allow to use uh, and uh, it's uh, we we try to to understand why <laughs> it was uh, because we we didn't have uh, we didn't have enough partitions, mm. so yeah, we yeah. we try to to calculate to to compute the good uh, block interval uh, because during this interval uh, Spark uh, create partition, so we we made uh, uh, a lot of uh, <laughs> of uh, calcul to to find uh, this good block interval. Mm -hmm. uh, it depends on the uh, number of core, number uh, number of uh, uh, receiver you have, and the uh, number of partition factor you want. Um, it's a good idea to have uh, between two and uh, three partition by core. And uh, with all these things, uh, you made you uh, we made uh, a Excel spreadsheet to to compute that uh, for all the, the all the environment for dev test and productions. So what you have to know is uh, Aurelien is a bit uh, black and white man up and down, you know. So when everything is uh, not okay, he says, uh, I want to quit uh, software engineering on big data <laughs> and so on. So it's why, why we put the suicidal stuff in the middle of the, uh, of the show of the presentation. So, the, so the, the public can loss on the, on the breath a little because it was quite Aurelien uh, uh, fighting with the issue, you know. <laughs> yes, and so after we try to improve again um, our uh, our um, processing time with uh, again a lot of properties, but uh, it's uh, it, it was uh, again a bad idea. We we don't have a good result, uh, but uh, our processing time was inferior at batch interval so it was okay but uh, we we notice when uh, we we run longer our application uh, finally uh, it was crashing because uh, uh, we we suppose uh, it was about memory and uh, we we made uh, a dump of uh, the JVM on one node and uh, that uh, confirms this uh, hypothesis. Uh, so we try to to understand why uh, memory was uh, uh, was uh, filled with a lot of objects. Uh, so uh, in fact, uh, from RabbitMQ we receive a uh, Avro object and uh, one Avro object uh, it was a container and there was a lot of uh, of uh, basket uh, 
basket is uh, you and I don't know the term uh, uh, shopping cart you mean yes yeah. uh, from the customer and uh, we we deserialize uh, every object in a list and uh, we made a, a, a happened operation and uh, it was a, a very bad idea because happened need to, to make a deep copy of the list so uh, we changed to to made a unprepared operation and it uh, improved a lot of things and uh, we we change uh, to the the garbage collector use mm -hmm. uh, and uh, everything was okay after that <laughs> okay so it was really a garbage collection it's not that the object was so big that it just filled the memory it was just that it kept in memory too long and the garbage collection was not aggressive enough uh, yes. Yeah. So it was actually uh, it was G one GC that you switched to, wasn't it? Uh, sorry. So it was the G one GC garbage yes. collection that you switched to to kind of yes, fix we, things. Yes, we switched uh, to G one GC, and G one GC is good for uh, for port and uh, for uh, real time. So it was uh, the good choice to. Um, in our case a stupid person like me would then ask why isn't that one used all the time uh, it will be in fact in Java 9 it will be the default stuff Java 9 it's not out so it's not uh, done yet but it will be the default one for the next Java yeah and considering the Java 7 has been around for about 5 years longer than it should have been 8 is going to be around for another 10 years so it's going to take some time uh, yeah there was some kind of um Issue right now, you know, there are some votes for and uh, they refuse the Jinxo stuff. So I think it will be a little bit late. <laughs> okay, but you can still patch it in quite easily then, or was it a lot of work to get that uh, garbage, coll garbage collector running on the older versions of Java? For using a uh, G1GC, yeah, or it's just a property to to add in the in the Spark submit uh, line and uh, in the Spark submit command, and it's, uh, it's very easy. After, uh, if uh, it's not enough, you you can uh, optimize. Uh, you can add a lot of properties to G1GC, but in our case, uh, it's fixed uh, the problem, so uh, we didn't uh, do anything uh, after uh, after that. But you still had to install the jars for the garbage collector yourself then manually because I'm assuming that the uh, 1.9 Java version garbage collector isn't included with uh, 1.6 or 1.7 you're using now. No, no, it is included, but it's just not by default. It's not, okay. It. So it's there, but it's, it's just not... On, uh, on Java 9, it will be by default. So it's now a preview version or something. No, it's it's really existing for yes. It just there are several several uh, type and it's not the default one. Yeah. So J, I mean JDK JDK seven update four includes G one GC um, and it's uh, it's actually tech. It's considered tech preview um, on HDP two six zero right now. So people are already starting to uh, to test with it in it and uh, in more and more environments. So, yeah, we, we can definitely expect to see it being more aggressively used in, in later versions. Yeah. And one lesson learned there is, uh, you know, some people said Java is uh, old, it's not used anymore, blah, blah, blah. 
I'm a Java user group, but the Java user group, by the way. But the truth is on big data, like 60%, 70% of the framework are using a Java virtual machine behind, and uh, especially Spark, on Flink, and so on. So you are, at one moment, you have to know how it works, and if you want to tune it, to know all the options, and so on. So it's a little hidden, hidden in, in the back, you know, the Java virtual machine, but you, it's still there and for, for a moment, for a long time, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so we had the partitioning not working, now the garbage collector had to be fixed. What was the next step? Because I'm assuming it wasn't finished yet. <laughs> yeah, so the, we are, now we have to calculate the KPIs. Yes. Because here it was just getting the data from the outside, from the different MySQL stuff, which different version to one data lake. So now you, you can do one request for all the customer, all the, all the brand. And you have to calculate the KPI with Spark SQL. Aurelia? Um, yes. Uh, and uh, the first uh, try was uh, awful. It uh, took, uh, uh, I remember, I think it was uh, 16 hours for uh, the first KPI. So we, uh, it was, uh, it was uh, worse than uh, MySQL. <laughs> MySQL even, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, in fact, uh, we use uh, we store data in parquet format and uh, with um, um, complex type. So you you can have uh, array, uh, map, and so on in, in parquet format. And uh, the, the, I think it was a bug, but um, uh, because uh, I don't explain that. But when we explode the, the complex type. Uh, Spark uh, didn't make a projection to get only the column we need and uh, uh, in uh, our complex tabs uh, there, there was a lot of columns so it was uh, very bad in performance to explode uh, like that and uh, to fix the problem we made a sub-query okay and then <laughs> We didn't have uh, other problems. We we continue we continued the, the project uh, very good like that. And uh, this was the part was uh, where I talk uh, when I talk talk about Impala. So you do just basic SQL like you do SQL on Oracle or SQL Server, just uh, to change a little bit the syntax. So it's the same for you know for for Hive, just a little bit slower. And you can calculate these indicators, these KPIs quite quickly. Um, and you, you already get very good results. You know, uh, you don't have to be a, a very skilled, strong engine, software engineer to do it. Just, uh, just to uh, do SQL and got good performance with no, not so much effort. Whereas on the other side, on, uh, on Spark, you have to be good. You have to know the framework and so on. And we, why you, we at the end we present the trade-off between the two two approaches. Yeah, yeah, so that. So, for example, you've got uh, if you got like uh, analytics team, BI teams, it's not so easy for them to go to Spark. Uh, so it's more easy to for them to start on stuff like Hive, Duil, or Impala. Uh, but if you got like more like Java or Scala developers, mm -hmm. it's more natural to go Spark yeah, and yeah, to yeah. make me go deeper after. 
Yeah, we actually had that uh, also come up in our interview with uh, Alan Gates uh, last episode, where he uh, kind of said that Spark was more pointed towards a development developer kind of person and not a database administrator kind of person. So a uh, question I had, actually, if you're talking about doing Impala and Hive and Spark, now in Spark, as far as I know, you have a, a SQL context, you have a Hive context. I haven't seen an Impala context yet. No, because uh, the Hive context is uh, just for parse request on access to the Metastore and Hive and Impala uh, share the, the same Metastore, so I don't think uh, uh, it's possible. Uh, so how did you do it? So you can do JDBC, JDBC uh, oh, with Spark. Yes. The mm. big stuff is uh, you make a big reduce at the at the middle of your process. Uh, so if the data is not so much after the, the requests, it's okay. If the data is, is bigger, uh, it's an issue. So it's like always, it's trade off between uh, the technology and your context, you know, your data. How do you how do you mean? Uh, can you explain a bit deeper? The, the trade-off, what's the trade-off? Okay, because uh, we've got, it was a, a, on another use case, uh, it was machine learning, and uh, it uh, was still uh, some shopping cart, but it was uh, by doing recommendation on, on all the shopping cart, it was like six, six to eight terabytes compressed of data. Uh, and so they did all the first part, part in uh, Spark 1.5 uh, with Spark SQL to do the feature engineering, then do train the model, then uh, do the all the clustering stuff. So Spark was very good on the training the model on clustering stuff, but the feature engineering was a little bit long. Uh, so what they did, they said, okay, we've got Impala arrive. We, we just do the request in SQL. We prepare the feature engineering and then we give it to Spark. So it can be in the same Spark stuff or in a previous job in Java or whatever, in Python, you don't care. And they reduce by 30% the processing time, the total processing time. Just doing the, the feature selection a bit better, you mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, he, and it was not so hard to do. It just, uh, but when, when you have to do, we do all the cluster. It's difficult, but, but when the technology is just available, you just have to test it. You just, uh, mix, do the trade-off between use case and technologies, you know? So it's, it's not mandatory to have this on the same Spark program. You can have a different job, which, uh, make, uh, a pipeline. But the pipeline of different technology with uh, some Kafka in the middle or just HDFS in the middle or, you know, just a new Hive or Impala table, you know, can do create table from select, blah, 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 blah. And you've got a new view and you just uh, start uh, Spark on this view. And that's it. So it seems like there was there's quite a sort of a repeatable pattern through your experience. One that I'm sure... Um, a lot of people listening are quite familiar with, you know, you, you go in with a particular set of expectations initially and, and then you, it, it all goes horribly wrong. And then you, you kind of, you work your way around it. You find out, you know, how to get through that bit and you get something up and running and then, you know, you're onto the next hurdle each time. So, the other thing I wanted to know was obviously this this story you know started some time ago, 
Um, and you know, it's been it had been carrying on through the the evolution of of Spark along the way. How different do you think this would have gone if um, if this project was kicking off now, for example, and oh, you know you yes. were looking to do this all in in Spark two dot x? You know, how, uh, what how how would it run now? I think now uh, I uh, I will do totally different and with. Uh, <laughs> Kafka streams and structure streaming. Uh, structuring streaming is not uh, stable again yet, but uh, I uh, I I have just finished a project with a Kafka stream, and it's very easy. It's easy to develop like a Spark, but uh, it's uh, easy to deploy on production. You just uh, uh, connect to your Kafka broker on the and uh, you you don't need to have a checkpointing like with Spark. Uh, everything is uh, managed by uh, Kafka with internal topics. And uh, if you need to improve your parallelism, you just have to launch an, an another instance of your application. And the the, the workload is divided. Uh, uh, automatically in function of uh, your number of partitions in uh, your Kafka topics. And so it's very easy to understand how it works. Uh, the API, it's, uh, it's easier to, and uh, it's, uh, and you, on the most important part, you can do like uh, structure streaming. You can compute KPI in real time uh, since the beginning of your application, the beginning of your data. And uh, it's a very uh, magic. You you just have uh, to define your uh, your uh, your KPI, and after that you you can just uh, get the the new uh, the last uh, sorry the last uh, result result uh, of your uh, of your application in the in the in the output topic, and uh, you add. Uh, you have uh, your uh, KPI uh, at the at the time, so in real in uh, in real time. So you you don't need to have a batch uh, like uh, like uh, uh, the architecture you we did in in the presentation. You you have just real time. It's a continuous data integration with KPI in real time. So it's it's very magic. Something tells me already I really like this Kafka streaming. Yes. <laughs> yes, I like it. It sounds like it didn't cause him suicidal thoughts. So uh, I, guess it, I guess it must have been uh, significantly easier to get from, get from A to B. If I understand correctly, then you're completely scrapping Spark uh, batch, uh, micro-batching. You don't use it at all. You're going completely on the Spark stream. On the, uh, sorry, Kafka stream, stream is that? Yes, uh, with Kafka streams, the uh, new data is uh, compute. Uh, yeah, and of course, uh, in, in your uh, project, you didn't do any machine learning anyway, so you didn't use no, MLIP or uh, whatever no, for Spark. So anyway. with Kafka stream, uh, it would be okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but would it, if, uh, if, if you would need uh, some machine learning algorithms in there, would you, would you then be able to connect the Kafka streams to a, a Spark model somehow? or? Uh, is that again suicidal tendencies then? <laughs> no, we we use again Spark and uh, uh, we we made uh, and, uh, 
We made machine learning in real time with, with Spark on the maintenance uh, predictive project. So Spark uh, is uh, is in, on the good way because uh, uh, they, they arrive with structure streaming. It's like uh, Kafka stream uh, and uh, the the uh, the the plus the pro the plus of Spark is the machine learning. So <laughs> it's dependent of uh, of your needs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and there is also another play. Uh, it's Florian, one of the developers uh, of the customer who use the platform. He also tests Aka. So you know, it's uh, an actor based by, based on uh, Scala. And you just have to be a good Scala developer, which is not given to everyone, and uh, you get good performance with it also, with not so complicated code. I haven't uh, looked at that yet, so uh, something yeah. for the future. But it's uh, very used, you know, uh, in a company which have to do rules over stream of data. You know, like a company like Expedia or payment stuff, stuff like this. So... For for someone that was looking to do, uh, looking to to do something uh, similar to this, what were the what were the lessons learned for for this that that you would uh, recommend people think about if they're approaching uh, a similar use case in the future? I think uh, it's where I uh, I recommend to to use Carcastream for. Uh, for simple or uh, for simple uh, KPI applications, uh, and uh, if you you need really to have uh, uh, real time uh, under seconds, uh, I think so you need to pass on uh, Flink. And mm -hmm. if uh, I think if you need machine learning and so on, you I, I suggest to to use uh, Spark Streaming because uh, it's. Uh, It's uh, the most uh, advanced uh, on the subject to, to distribute uh, machine learning uh, on cluster. So very much, you know, pick pick the best best tool for the particular use case you're looking at. There is no Spark isn't the magic bullet that perhaps uh, some um, people might think it well, is. No, yeah. I don't think so. I think if you have a use case. Uh, Not uh, very complicated. I think it's better to use uh, some some things uh, like Kafka Stream uh, uh, because it's very easier to, to use. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Um, so one final question that we uh, we always ask as we uh, as we get a special guest, or at least we try to ask whenever I remember, um, <laughs> is uh, is uh, Ewan, Can you uh, ask ask you to define Hadoop to someone that uh, that's never heard of it before? How would you explain Hadoop to them? Uh, basically, what I explain it to you know to business people, it's it's. I say it's like your computer, it's files on the folders. It just, you've got unlimited storage and you can do whatever. You're not limited by your, by your storage. So you can do whatever you do in terms of storage. Because basically a GFS is just a file system with folders on file. All right. Excellent. And, uh, Aurelia, how would you, uh, how would you explain Hadoop to someone that's never heard of it before? Oh. <laughs> 
just uh, like you say the a file system uh, you and you you can do SQL on your on your files uh, and uh, on on a cluster. I don't know if uh, if it's enough, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> SQL on your files, everybody. Yes. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Uh, actually, I've got a presentation on big data on the one slide is uh, big data is just uh, SQL on terabytes of CSV. CSV you know? <laughs> <laughs> there we the go. The reality is a little more difficult, you know, parquet, uh, compression stuff, uh, Spark, whatever, but uh, it's just to introduce for Java developers. Nice, nice. All right, excellent. Well, I think that about wraps up our uh, our time with you guys. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I just yeah, I just want to thank you the customer teams who work with Aurelien as uh, yeah. Florian, Jeremy, Nadia, Dorothée, uh, because they all work with Aurelien on this. And they took like uh, six months, eight months Aurelien on it, so it was a a big work. Yeah, the big yes. team effort. Then. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, so. Thank you very much, guys, for spending some time with us and uh, walking the audience through uh, some of the exciting journeys you've had through uh, through Spark Streaming. And uh, maybe our maybe our next conversation uh, will be on uh, on Kafka Stream. It sounds like that's the that's some of the yeah. some of the new hotness there. I so, love uh, Kafka Stream. <laughs> <laughs> great stuff. Well, as I say, thanks very much, guys. Really, really appreciated. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking to you soon. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks to you. So thank you again, Ewan and Aurelian, for the interview. Um, really good talking to you. Uh, glad that uh, no one was harmed during the uh, making of that particular episode. <laughs> um, everybody survived. It's all fine. Um, so both uh, Ewan and Aurelian, obviously from Saji, the people sponsoring our current raffle, uh, the raffle that is extended for yet another two-week period. So if you want to... Uh, Enter that raffle for a, a one-year subscription to uh, the O'Reilly Online. Um, go ahead and re retweet our episodes. Say that you like them. Say that you uh, are looking to do something to popularize the Roaring Elephant podcast and let us know that you're doing it. Um, but with that, that's about all the time we have for today. So we hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Until then please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information about the podcast and there's a feedback form as well where you can provide all of that wonderful feedback about what you like, what you don't like and what you'd like to hear more of. There's also information about the current raffle rules and you can follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag. Please also feel free to contact us via email podcast at roaringelephant.org and send us any thoughts, comments, criticisms and other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is Sean. And we look forward to talking to you in two weeks' time. Goodbye. Cheers. Bye.